is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Danny K. Bernstein. We talk about his early inspirations, his journey to creating musical theater, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this fantastic part one with Danny K. Bernstein. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Danny K. Bernstein. Danny, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This this is really exciting. Right now, I'm in Bucks County. I was at the Bucks County Playhouse the other night watching opening night of their, their theater after this pandemic. Where in the world are you? I'm currently on Nantucket. I am doing a production of Peter and the Starcatcher out here. Um, and my fun fact about that is that this is actually... Um, in addition to music directing, this is like one of my first professional acting contracts. Amen. How exciting. Are you loving Nantucket? Is it your first time out there? It's um, actually my third time out <laughs> here, but I'm, I haven't been here since 2018. Okay. And um, yeah, I'm so happy to be back. The sun is shining and it's quite lovely out here. I'm, I'm missing out because I've, I've heard great things about Nantucket. I have a Nantucket shirt on because my brother... Uh, honeymooned out there, but I haven't been. So oh, wow. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just hearing more about it talks me into going out there. So without any further ado, let's jump back to the beginning of time for Danny K. Bernstein. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? Oh, gosh, I think really early, you know, I got the acting bug. I was doing theater stuff, just community theater. And I think like around age 13, I really wanted to be like on Nickelodeon and the Disney channel. I started begging my parents to get an agent. Um, that went absolutely nowhere, but I was <laughs> determined. I was like, this is my life. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and interestingly enough, I, by the end of high school, I was like, oh yeah, I'm not going to do that with my life. <laughs> <laughs> not the, not the, the, the Disney channel stuff or performing. Uh, really any of it. Um, yeah, I think by the end of high school, I was kind of, you know, I, I felt like I had sort of become a little jaded and realistic about, you know, the theater world. I was like, yeah, now I should probably go to a nice, good school, get a good degree so I can get a, you know, normal, well-paying job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's wild. I really think about just sort of my life's trajectory. And I really went from being just like obsessed with musical theater to very much downplaying it as a hobby of mine um, to, you know, being where I am today. So what was the, when was the decision to go back into it and to continue, you know, pursuing theater? Well, about halfway through college. Uh, so I was at Cornell um, and my plan was to get a double major in music, but also psychology with a focus science and, you know, biopsychology and those sort of fields. Um, it was sort of my science project um, in the science research program at high school. And I figured I would probably pursue that, work in like a brain imaging lab. Um, and yeah, when I got to college, I was really not doing well on several exams. Um, so I think there was one day my sophomore year after I had failed like yet another exam and I had to drop another class <laughs> that I got a large bottle of wine. I wrote um, F this, I'm going to be famous on my whiteboard. It, this was a Wednesday afternoon. And, you know, I had decided that day to have my um, mid-college crisis. <laughs> and I dropped my psych major and picked up a theater minor and just said, I guess I'm doing this um, <laughs> without really any plan. You know, I... I wasn't going to get a BFA. I wasn't going to transfer. I just sort of decided that was probably what I was going to do and, you know, hope for the best. Um, 
and it, you know, it kind of worked out. Um, it's weird, you know, life very much has had a way of pushing me in the right direction. If it, even if it took me uh, a little while and several uh, poor exam remark, poor exam marks to get there. I love it. Okay, so uh, many questions because we're going to talk about writing as well, and yeah. so much more. But with with within your family, your parents, what did they teach you about work ethic? Um, they really taught me. Uh, especially my dad really, really pushed me to, you know, not settle for average. You know, when I would get B's on exams, he'd be like, so why didn't you, cause you are smarter than this. Why didn't you work a little harder? Why didn't you push yourself a little more? Right. Um, and I was always convinced. I was like, no, I did work hard. You know, I did my best. This is, you know, I'm just like, maybe not at the top of the class. And yeah, I think the biggest thing that my parents really worked to teach me is that, you know, I'm more capable than I think I am and that there is no reason not to try and hire and do a little better. And instead of comparing yourself to, you know, your general population and your social circle to just compare yourself to yourself and just try and keep doing better. Um, and to that end, that is sort of, especially in college, what I wound up doing. It wasn't, you know, with AP bio exams, but it was with theater and music and you know, just really trying to aim higher, not just, you know, than the people around me, but higher for myself. And of course, once that was what Cornell was like, because it had a theater population, you know, the size of like maybe 20 or 30 people and the musical theater scene was even smaller than that. So I didn't really have any points of comparison except just, you know, where I had been a year ago or a few months ago. So really just kind of pushing myself to just like, you know, abandon comparison, a you know, stop looking at the other people around you and just keep looking at you and trying to prove how capable you are to yourself instead of how much more capable you are than the person next to you. What did that do for you when you finally stopped, you know, comparing yourself to others? For It's a two-part question, really. What did the conversation look like when you finally let that go? And then what did it do for you? How did it change your your speed at which you operate or how you function? Um, that's a good question. I think I remember my junior year um, when I sort of tricked myself into, you know, starting to write um, in that I decided to schedule a cabaret uh, for my original music before I had written any. So um, oh, I know that became like a running theme in college was setting uh, high pressure situations for myself that I simply had to deliver for. I love that. Um, <laughs> it's a really great way. You know, I really don't recommend it. I probably almost gave myself a lot of aneurysms, but, um, you know, to my credit, it really did work. It gave me that adrenaline rush that really forced me to start. And I think that's probably starting is um, the hardest for any, you know, aspiring writer is actually setting pen to paper. And sure. oh, sorry, what was the question again? I got lost. No, how, without, no, exactly. And we talked about this beforehand. It's, it's fantastic because I really like, I appreciate it because you're really getting deep into thought. Um, yeah. It's generous. So I, thank you. I was asking what, how did the function change uh, your way of being basically when you stopped comparing yourself to others and really only, you know, compared yourself to yourself, you know? Oh, I think the biggest thing, especially my junior year of college was suddenly my grades didn't matter to me anymore. My GPA didn't matter to me anymore. That was like, because that not only was like a very quantifiable way of how well I was doing, but it was also a quantifiable way of, you know, how I was doing compared to other people. Mm. And 
And I really sort of abandoned that. And that was a very freeing thing. I mean, it was also among other things because I, you know, once I sort of planned on pursuing musical theater, something like a GPA from Cornell is completely meaningless. Right. So, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, no one's going to be looking at, you know, my academic transcripts, especially if I'm just trying to get jobs as a pianist, they're mm. going to be looking at whether I can play the piano. Yeah. Um, and that was really freeing. I really remember feeling like, you know, there's nothing quantifiable here. There's n- nothing to really attain except things that make me feel good and things that make me feel happy and things I'm proud of. So that was really freeing. I really felt like, you know, I had nothing to prove um, to anybody except the people, except myself, you know, the writers uh, at school. Um, there were maybe a few over at Ithaca College, but I wasn't friends with them yet. So mm. I, I didn't really have anything else to compare to. And on one hand, it was very terrifying because I just had no barometer of, you know, whether I was any good or not. But also I had no barometer of whether I was bad or not. So there was nothing really holding me down or giving me insecurities. I was, you know, very focused on the fact music and set a lyric to it. I was already, you know, the best in my league for, you know, as far as I could see. Right. No. Um, Yeah. Okay. Totally. You know, that's, that's a cool thing. It is like, great. I'm already the best at it. Well, (laughs) there's no one else here who is doing it. So I, you know, I'm already winning. Well, you can No, no, no. There's so much. I just have so much to touch here Uh, with the Ratatouille musical. Um, it just it comes to mind uh, that you had you had wrote uh, Ego's flashback, and well, that- okay. I I can't really take credit. I gotta say, you know, uh, it's a little weird that uh, my name is sort of credited with the rest of the writers because <laughs> I I didn't even write um, the full song. Um, my friend Katie Joe wrote it, um, right? Katie. And she she sent me. She just needed me to set her lyrics. She sent me a little voice memo singing what she thought might be the melody with the lyrics, and they were great. Um, and of course wound up being combined with another song that RJ Christian wrote. Um, so I only wrote about 60 seconds of music and to be perfectly honest, I wrote it after, uh, several drinks, uh, playing a drag show, um, at Don't Tell Mama. (laughs) So, you know, as far as, as far as, you know, things I've written that I like to show people, I would say Ratatouille, the TikTok musical is not something that I sort of put forth as example of my work. I just love, I love the honesty because yes, so many shows are created by so many people, you know, and it's not, it's not always cut and dry, you know, and even a little participation in something. I love that. So thank you for sharing that. Do you remember the first song you wrote? I remember the, I mean, oh gosh, um, I remember the first good song I wrote. Maybe I remember the first song I wrote like in high school. It was actually quite catchy. And it was about um, this girl from summer camp that I really, really hated. Um, It was very mean. I (laughs) called her Lucifer and Lucy for short. And I think I wrote a song about that. Um, (laughs) Very mean. Um, But no, the the first good real song I wrote, I wrote my junior year of college for that cabaret. It was called It's Complicated. And I actually still use it in concerts. Uh, it still seems to, you know, resonate and ring true. And that, I remember that was sort of the first song I wrote where I was like, maybe this will work. Like, yeah, maybe I can actually do this. Maybe, you know, dropping my major and drinking a bottle of wine wasn't the most rational or irresponsible decision <laughs> in the world. <laughs> how do you, how have you gotten better at listening to your, your intuition and, you know, trusting your own decisions? I've learned that I really can't force myself to do things I don't like. Um, Mm. 
I mean, whether that's because I live in a very instant gratification, dopamine centered world or not is to be determined. Mm. But, you know, if I, especially with writing, if I, if I don't find joy in it, even if I'm, you know, hired to do it, I, I have a really, really difficult time because it's, it's difficult to, you know, do something like write a song if sure. you're just not inspired and not feeling happy about it. Sure. And I think that was the biggest thing. That's still sort of my mantra is that if I don't really find joy, it's very Marie Kondo. <laughs> but if I don't, you know, spark, if it doesn't spark joy, I know I'm not going to be able to write it. So You're there's no it. real point in trying to force it. Amen to that. As uh, you know, this is very exciting with Far From Canterbury, uh, which we'll talk about. I yeah. I know it's it's you know basically you're an emerging artist in multiple mediums as you know lyricist writer book writer music but now you're even performing right now over the summer Are, is this a what is this decision with yourself and conversation with yourself to balance each of these titles as you grow as an artist and performer is it conscious or is it just you just take kind of take it as it comes. Or whatever yeah, well, I mean, like. this performing contract this summer was a complete accident. Um, I was I was brought on to music direct, and it was interesting. It was kind of like uh, frog in the boiling pot, where you know it was first it was music directing, and then it was like, oh well, you'll probably be playing on stage, so you'll be part of the show. And then it was like, oh, you're probably going to do an ensemble track too, just because it doesn't make sense for you to be on stage and not sort of be engaged. And then it was we've cast you as Prentice, <laughs> and that was oh, like. I know it's like suddenly I had, you know, way over a hundred lines and I'm playing a rather huge supporting role in this play <laughs> um, in addition to music directing and playing the score. So, um, you know, I totally was thrown into it. Um, although I got to say, I'm having a lot of fun in rehearsals. It's um, definitely, I mean, I haven't acted, I don't think since college really. So, uh, which was like seven years at this point, but it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't know if, being an actor and performing is you know, something I would really identify mm -hmm. as doing after this, as much as it's something I am capable of doing when called upon. Mm. Um, but as far as, you know, writing book, music and lyrics, um, I, it's, it, I recognize that it's very, very unusual. It's a lot of jobs. Sometimes there are two or three people on a writing team literally doing all of those things. Sure. And for me, it's just because, you know, when something comes out of me, it, it just kind of all, it just comes out like vomit. It's the dialogue, it's the songs, it's the music. It all just kind of happens together. It also always happens when I'm alone by myself, talking to myself like a very, very, you know, troubling human, um, <laughs> doing impersonations of characters. Right. It's, it's hard to distinguish, you know, which is which, because it's just sort of, you know, I, it's just sort of a story that's kind of happening. And I'm just sort of, not distinguishing which parts I happen to be doing, especially I happen, I usually write a lot of songs that have like maybe a little bit of dialogue or even a full scene in between verses and just sort of like letting, you know, that happen. And sure. so for me personally, I can't really separate it. Uh, that's really unusual. There are plenty of people uh, and most writers I know at least do music and lyrics or do both. They don't really do both. And most people find it much more helpful to work with a collaborator. Right. I have to be by myself in a little hidey hole. <laughs> Do you see yourself working with collaborators in the future or it's not even really a thought yet? You're just, you know, doing your thing. 
you know, I, when I work with, I do work with collaborators. They're just not other writers. I really work hands-on with directors that I work with and music directors. That's sort of like my usual pod when, you know, I'm at the collaborating stage and really trying to get other brains in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think, and I, I really like collaborating that way. It's just one of those things where when it comes to actually putting pen to paper that I just, I have to do on my own. Mm. And I'm, when I first got to BMI, uh, they do pair you up. Um, even if you do both and they actually, it's funny. I always talk about how I've, I'm the only person I know that's gotten all three acceptances to BMI in that I got the email saying I was accepted as a composer, then an email saying we sent you the wrong email. Sorry, you've been accepted as a lyricist. <laughs> And then a few months later, when somebody dropped, they were like, okay, we need you to be a composer lyricist because we need an even number. Oh my God, that's perfect. <laughs> but even so, I was still paired up every now and then. Sure, and, sure. Uh, and you know, it's, I really just, I shut down when there's somebody else in the room. And I just, I realize that it's because my brain is usually uh, just operating at a different speed, whether it's slower and faster. And when there's somebody else that I really have to be on the same wavelength on, I find that I get really, really lost. And I tend to shut down a little bit. So it's it's just a personal thing for me where, you know, I need to be on a runaway train or I need to be stuck for hours and I need to be doing that alone and not have to worry about like another human in the mix for that process. Sure, sure. No, and that that makes complete sense. What's what is your what is your taste? How do you decide, oh, this story sings, this is something I want to work on, oh, I want to develop this? Where does that come from for you? It's a really good question, especially because my two musicals, uh, Can't, Far From Canterbury and my other musical Wings, I, I really would say that the source material for both and the feel of them both is quite different. Mm. Um, I mean, I would say that if you saw them both, you can hear my voice, especially in the dialogue. But um, yeah, it really varies. I wouldn't say there's anything in particular other than the fact that like, I, there's just something that kind of reaches me. There's something I totally click with and resonate with. And it's usually not even anything about like a plot. It's usually just kind of like a feeling. Like I really, uh, with Canterbury, and we'll talk more about that, but uh, with the main character, I was kind of like, oh yeah, like I've been in a weird, you know, foggy situation before and felt like I needed to, you know, answer a riddle that was like life dependent. And then with Wings, I was like, I know what it's like to be in the closet, but also I know what it's like to sort of have your world warped by having a bizarre sort of view of everything because of, you know, having an identity crisis or not being totally sure of who you are. So it's those sort of like feelings that when I resonate with that, that's when I'm like, cool, I can hop into this. I know how to write this story. Um, I may not know how to write for all the other characters yet. I'll probably have to hop into those and really do my research and work on them. But yeah, it's, there's no like taste as far as genre or even, you know, source material. It really is all just like when I, when I click into something that resonates with me, that's when I jump in with both feet with abandon. (laughs) I love that. I love And where did you, how did you come across Far From Canterbury? What was the discovery of that? So I read the Canterbury Tales um, in uh, 11th grade British literature in high school. Um, Fantastic. <laughs> and, and it's based on the Wife of Bath's Tale. And I remember reading that one. Um, it's, it's a pretty deeply problematic source of material, but it was, it was really engaging. It's like a very, and I, I found that even if people didn't read the Canterbury Tales, they've all heard some version of that story. 
And then my sophomore year, I took a directing class and we had to make a story. Our final project was a story theater project. We had to pick, you know, a fairy tale or a short story or something to that effect to adapt. And I picked that one and I just really clicked with it. And I also like really leaned into the comedy of it just because it can be kind of a goofy story depending on your take on it. Hmm. And then I sort of just like really I wanted to keep working on it and you know when I had my mid-college crisis and decided that I wanted to be a musical theater writer um without ever having done it before I (laughs) I I was like okay I have to decide what my first musical is going to be I was like I know this story I've already kind of you know worked on it theatrical setting great I'm doing it didn't look back didn't consider any other options just went with the first one Hmm. um and it was, it wound up being my college thesis. Um, I got it slated into um, my theater department's season without having written it again. So I was in another high, high pressure situation, which is how I knew it would get done. Fantastic. And yeah, that's just sort of how it happened. I love that. I love that. Now, I know you had mentioned that when telling a story, it's it, for you, as you write all different aspects of it, it's very tied together. Do you have a process? Do you begin... Um, at the end, at the beginning with a song or is it jumping right into the book writing? What is that process for you? Oh gosh, it really varies. Um, I mean, I will own up to the fact that I te- I often do what I literally tell every other musical theater I write um, who are aspiring, I should say. Um, aspiring writers, I tell them not to start from page one and just go in order. And sometimes that's just what I wind up doing. Really? It's definitely <laughs> what I did for Canterbury. I think it's what I did for a good portion of wings. Um, and that's a terrible way to write. You should really, you know, especially with a musical, pick a moment that you know how to hit the nail on the head with and start from there and start building out and write a few other songs that you think you understand and then start filling in the pieces, um, mm. which is what I think I tried to do with wings and it really wasn't working. So then I just started on page one um, for my first draft and just went in order. I, I for anyone listening to this, please don't do that. You will not probably usually not get past page one because it's very, very, uh, you know, it, compl- it's very overwhelming to just sort of look at a blank page and, you know, say, go start of show. You've been listening to entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.